the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Jesus went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley to where there was a garden into which he and his disciples entered. Judas, his betrayer, also knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas got a band of soldiers and guards from the chief priests and the Pharisees and went there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, knowing everything that was going to happen to him, went out and said to them, Whom are you looking for? They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am. Judas, his betrayer, was also with them. When he said to them, I am, they turned away and fell to the ground. So again he asked them, Whom are you looking for? They said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I am, so if you are looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill what he had said, I have not lost any of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its scabbard. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father gave me? So the band of soldiers, the tribune, and the Jewish guards seized Jesus, bound him, and brought him to Annas first. He was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had counseled the Jews that it was better that one man should die rather than the people. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Now the other disciple was known to the high priest, and he entered the courtyard of the high priest with Jesus. But Peter stood at the gate outside. So the other disciple, the acquaintance of the high priest, went out and spoke to the gatekeeper and brought Peter in. Then the maid who was the gatekeeper said to Peter, You are are not not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the guards were standing around a charcoal fire that they had made because it was cold and were warming themselves. Peter was also standing there keeping warm. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I've spoken publicly to the world. I've always taught in a synagogue or in the temple area where all the Jews gather. And in secret I have said nothing. Why ask me? Ask those who heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the temple guards standing there struck Jesus and said, Is this the way you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing there keeping warm, and they said to him, You are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the one whose ear Peter had cut off, said, Didn't I see you in the garden with him? Again Peter denied it, and immediately the cock crowed. Then they brought Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium. 
It was morning, and they themselves did not enter the praetorium in order not to be defiled, so that they could eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and said, What charge do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. At this Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews answered him, We do not have the right to execute anyone. In order that the word of Jesus might be fulfilled, that he said, indicating the kind of death he would die. So Pilate went back into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this on your own, or have others told you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom does not belong to this world. If my kingdom did belong to this world, my attendants would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not here. So Pilate said to him, Then you are a king? Jesus answered, You say I am a king. For this I was born and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? When he had said this, he again went out to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I release one prisoner to you at Passover. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not Not this this one, one, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a revolutionary. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him scourged. And the soldiers wove a crown out of thorns and placed it on his head and clothed him in a purple cloak. And they came to him and said, Hail, Hail, King King of the Jews. Jews. And they struck him repeatedly. Once more Pilate went out and said to them, Look, I am bringing him out to you, so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple cloak. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the guards saw him, they cried out, Crucify Crucify him! Crucify Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered, We have the law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Now when Pilate heard this statement, he became even more afraid, and went back into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? Jesus did not answer him. So Pilate said to him, Do you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have power to release you, and I have power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me if it had not been given to you from above. For this reason, the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Consequently, Pilate tried to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release him, you are not a friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and seated him on the judge's bench 
in the place called Stone Pavement, in Hebrew, Gabata. It was preparation day for Passover, and it was about noon. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have have no king king but Caesar. Then he handed him over to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and carrying the cross himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, with Jesus in the middle. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus, the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Now many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not not write the King of the Jews, but that he said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four shares, a share for each soldier. They also took his tunic, but the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top down. So they said to one another, Let's not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it will be. In order that the passage of scripture might be fulfilled that says, They divided my garments among them, and for my vesture they cast lots. This is what the soldiers did. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary of Magdala. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple there whom he loved, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. After this, aware that everything was now finished, in order that the scripture might be fulfilled, Jesus said, I thirst. There was a vessel filled with common wine. So they put a sponge soaked in wine on a sprig of hyssop and put it up to his mouth. When Jesus had taken the wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he handed over the spirit. Now, since it was preparation day, in order that the bodies might not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath day of that week was a solemn one, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs be broken and that they be taken down. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and then of the other one who was crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one soldier thrust his lance into his side, and immediately blood and water flowed out. An eyewitness has testified, and his testimony is true. He knows that he is speaking the truth, so that you may also come to believe. For this happened, so that the scripture passage might be fulfilled. Not a bone of it will be broken. 
And again, another passage says, they will look upon him whom they have pierced. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, secretly a disciple of Jesus for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate if he could remove the body of Jesus. And Pilate permitted it. So he came and took his body. Nicodemus, the one who had first come to him at night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes weighing about 100 pounds. They took the body of Jesus and bound it with burial cloths along with the spices, according to the Jewish burial custom. Now in the place where he had been crucified there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been buried. So they laid Jesus there because of the Jewish preparation day, for the tomb was close by. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. For me, thinking about mystery is sort of like being out maybe far out into the ocean and looking into deep water and looking down. You can't see the bottom. You know it's deep, but there isn't really much perspective in terms of how deep it is. It's a mystery. Tonight's a night that's full of mysteries. Um, One of the most, I think, obvious is the mystering of Christ's suffering. When I think of mysteries, like I said, I I want to try to put some perspective on it. And so I think it's helpful to kind of look at our own experiences. I was thinking about suffering and I was thinking about painful things and about sort of maybe a common or relatively common painful experiences that we might have all had, or maybe many of us here. One of the most painful things that I could think about that has happened to me is having my fingers closed in the car door. If you've ever experienced smashing your fingers into a door jam or a car door, it's one of the most painful things that I think can happen. I mean, and, and I've had surgeries and my Achilles tendon rupture, all those sorts of things. That is more painful. And so I think about that. Remember that moment, how painful that was. I think about that, and then I think about another person that that's happened to, and then me experiencing not only my pain, but their pain. And I look and I find someone else that that's happened to. And so I experience my pain, that person's pain, and this other person's pain. And another person, another person. Think about in this world right now, how many people have smashed their fingers in a car door, in a door, or something like that? Millions? Millions of times? Billions of times? That pain magnified like that? And Jesus suffers here for every sin that had ever been committed or would ever be committed. He felt that. He felt all of my sins, felt all of your sins. Every single person, he carried that weight. Perspective. Why did he do it? Well, you can look into theology books and so on and so forth, but I think the answer that seems most 
correct, I guess, to me, is that he wanted to make us holy. You know, my favorite definition of holiness is to be claimed by God. That's the definition of holiness. I brought a little for a souvenir tonight. Grab it out of my pocket here. It's a photograph. This photograph was taken. I know you can't see it. I'll show you, though. I got it here. Just to show that it exists, really. This photograph, describe it, was taken back in 1986. I was 13 years old. It's a picture of me. I'm just standing there. It's a picture from me from the waist up. And one of the most noticeable things you'll see in that picture is that my head is completely covered in white gauze, kind of like a mummy. There's two holes for the eyes, a hole for the mouth, and you can see my hand in the picture as well, and my hand is all wrapped up in gauze. I was not dressing up for Halloween, although Halloween was only a few days away when this picture was taken. What had happened was, two days before, was that I had found some black powder, and I thought, I was going to go reenact a little bit of the Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote. Um, for those who haven't heard of those two characters, um, let's just say there's lots of explosions and crashes in it. And they love to play with TNT. So I thought, this is great. I can reenact some of this stuff. And I took a pile of the black powder and I poured it out on the street in front of our house. And I got some matches, and I lit a match, and I stood back and I threw it into the black powder. The match landed on the black powder, it stayed lit, and then it went out. And I thought, what's going on here? Little did I know that black powder at the time, I didn't know that it's kind of this sort of touchy thing. It's finicky. And I was thinking, well, maybe this stuff isn't work or something. You know, it's broken. So I took another match and I lit it. And I bent over and I put it in the black powder. And it went off. My face was less than two feet away from the, the blast, that black powder on the ground, when it ignited. You know, an interesting thing, I remember it like as clear as it was yesterday, it didn't hurt, at least not at first. It felt like someone took and threw a bunch of sand in my face. And I, and I remember thinking it's the oddest thing. But what else had happened was that the flames came up. They were so hot that they fused my eyelids together. And I couldn't see. And I stood up, instantly realizing that I was blind and I began to panic, and I reached for my eyes, and I pulled my eyelids apart, because my eyelashes had melted together. And when I realized that I could see, there was this great sigh of relief. Again, I still wasn't feeling a whole lot of pain. I ran into my father, and my father looked at me, and said what had happened, and I said, I burnt myself. And he quickly brought me to the emergency room. I spent the next several weeks going through these procedures, pretty painful procedures, where they would peel the dead skin off of my face to keep my, my skin from getting infected. 
Um, and this would go on for a series of days. And it took quite a while to recover from that. Thankfully, I didn't have any long-lasting repercussions. I look back on that moment, and you know what I remember most, though? It's not so much about my own disobedience and my sin, because I certainly wasn't doing something I should have been doing. And it wasn't the pain. The pain was tremendous at the time, but that's gone away. I remember my dad. You know, my dad never once told me how foolish I was to be doing that. He never once ridiculed my stupidity. And I'll tell you, that was one of the most stupid things I've ever done. He just loved me. He took care of me. My mom at the time, she was away taking care of her father who happened to be dying. So she wasn't there. And my dad just stepped in, did everything. You know what else I remember? My grandfather. My grandfather had made a special trip to come in and see me. And uh, when he, he walked into the house, he wanted to cheer me up. And so he started kind of joking with me and, and saying, you know, well, you know, telling me I, dre- I was dressing up a little too early for Halloween. In essence, I just remember my grandfather being there in a time when I was really hurting. I think that's the reason, at least one of the reasons, why Jesus did what he did this night. To claim us as his own. Because when he claims us as his own, something amazing happens if we let it. He can take our sin, he can take our pain, our suffering, our sorrow, and he can transform it into something beautiful. This rightly so should be a picture of one of the most painful moments of my life. But I've held on to this picture for decades, not because it's the most painful moment of my life, but because it reminds me of some of the most beautiful things in my life. My father, my grandfather. Jesus takes the most incredibly painful, suffering moment that any human being could ever go through. And he turns it into something beautiful. Because he wants us to be holy. Because he says, I claim you. May we all allow him to give us that gift. May we all allow him to allow our pains, our sufferings, our struggles to be transformed to something beautiful.